Today's gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, and you have parts to play in the reading. You'll notice in bold, we're going to do the reading together. And the bold parts will be our parts to say in unison. Then the assembly rose as a body and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man perverting our nation, forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. But they were insistent and said, He stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, where he began even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him off to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had been wanting to see him for a long time, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at some length, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. Even Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then he put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That same day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people, and here I have examined him in your presence, and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. Then they all shouted out together. This was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept shouting, A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed Jesus over as they wished. This is the gospel of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. Let's pray. God, we are aware this morning that we stand, Jesus, in holy places. And we admit to you, Lord, that we are vulnerable in a number of different ways that we feel, Lord, probably some of us tender, some of us distracted. We're gathered here, Lord, feeling a lot of different ways and things. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, now for your grace and your peace. We ask you, Lord, to catch us up into holy and sacred time. 
to make Jesus very real and present to us. Will you, Lord, speak? Help us to hear. Lay hands of peace, Lord, on us and on our neighbors and those who need you. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. We are today, I suspect, I suspect and suppose every uh, Sunday, invited uh, into sacred time. But that's maybe particularly true today. Uh, today marks the beginning of Holy Week. So we are um, quite literally today um, entering in uh, to Holy Week and making our way towards the cross. That's the kind of beauty and power of the procession. It's a reminder that um, we are in a very real way choosing to put ourselves um, in, in holy time, in sacred time, to enter into the story. And that, you know, it can't just be about remembering something that was in the past and like choosing to look back and, you know, remember the things that happened. Um, that would be fine and all, but I actually think that the invitation that the church has extended to all of us today and through Holy Week is, is something different than that slightly. It can't be just about remembering as if what happened, you know, 2,000 years ago is ancient history. I mean, I, I do believe that there was a literal day on the literal calendar in which Jesus on a literal donkey entered into a very real Jerusalem, a real man and real events, and that those events are in that sense past and history. They happened. But what I mean by it can't just all be ancient history is that, you know, we're invited today to give thought to what it means for Jesus to enter into our lives deliberately and intentionally with his heart and mind set on redemption, on healing, on bringing peace and love, which is exactly how Jesus went into Jerusalem. There's that beautiful language in the Bible that says he entered in Jerusalem with his face set like flint. Do you remember? Resolve. Purpose. And we have forgotten something to our own tragic hurt and detriment if we think that for one moment Jesus is any less resolved, any less set like flint towards the hurts that we feel now and the evil that still exists in our world. His face is set like flint towards redemption, towards healing, real courage when he came riding into Jerusalem. So today we remember that. That's not ancient history. That's real. That's present history. That has to be who he is today. Or he's nothing more than a memory, and this is all pageantry and exercises in imagination, and I don't have time for it, and neither do you. If it's not more than that, if that's all it is, Paul would say, we are of all people to be most pitied, because we should be in Little Rock helping people clean up their yards if we don't have anything better to do than to get together and play pageant. That's not what this is. The church has gathered today so that we could, like our Lord, choose to set our faces like flint and to walk with him towards redemption, towards healing, and to admit that we are cowards, really. Traitors, really. Not heroes. Not the way we want to be. That's why in the lectionary today we start with Jesus entering into Jerusalem and then in a kind of strange way we hit fast forward 
And the gospel that we read right before this is of Jesus already before Pilate. And if you are familiar, of course, with the crucifixion story, there's a lot that happens in the middle (laughs) between Jesus coming into Jerusalem and Jesus standing before Pilate. And so why has the lectionary on a day like today chosen to fast forward? Because, of course, all week we'll be keeping step with Jesus. Deliberately, the church will choose to mark our steps like he did ever closer towards the cross. Monday, Thursday, we'll gather just like Jesus and the disciples gathered in the upper room and we'll set our table just like Jesus set his and then we'll clear our table in acknowledgement of the fact that the communion that he hoped for, the friendship that he wanted, we would betray. And then on Good Friday, we will gather and we will commemorate his death in darkness and silence. So we'll keep step, but we fast forward a little bit today out of time and out of rhythm in an effort to draw the contrast between who we were and how we were when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and who we were and how we were when he stood before Pilate. Cowards. Traitors. More importantly, I want to just say to you from the onset that in light of all that's happened this past week, I feel particularly committed to the invitation, thankful for the invitation to grapple with the violence in our world and in my own heart. Not, again, for shame and condemnation so we can all, you know, feel bad for us and sorry for Jesus somehow kind of at the same time. You know, that won't do any of us any good. We're invited today to, as saints, by God, to deal seriously, grapple and wrestle with, really, the real issues in our world and in our heart. And I am very, very thankful for that. We're double-minded, double-hearted, fickle, and prone to betrayal. All of us. Our loyalty is thin. We make calculations about how to get ahead and how to win, and we bet accordingly. Whether we're doing it literally or in our relationships, those are the calculations of our nature. Uh, My seven-year-old, who's a miserable sinner just like his mother, I was trying to explain to him the other day why I always felt a little bit compelled to go for the underdog and try explaining what an underdog is to a seven-year-old it's, or why we call it that. I had realized suddenly I have no idea what is an underdog. I literally don't even know why we call it that. But the whole concept, you know, of like a little bit going for the guy who's not supposed to win. My seven-year-old has no loyalty. He is for the winning team. <laughs> so before, if you ask him... Chuck, who are you rooting for? He will ask you first, well, who's supposed to win? Because, duh, (laughs) that's who I'm going to be for. That's where my loyalties lie, the winner. And, you know, as we we grow, we can look at that and be like, you know, well, that's like, you know, I guess cute, but, you know, also you'll want to check that as you get older. Maybe. But then, like, I'm forced to reckon with the fact that, I don't know, you know, it's funny when it comes out of the mouth of a seven-year-old, but are we all that different? Aren't we all kind of, if we're honest, trying to cast our lots with the winning team most all the time? Eugene Peterson says of humans that we are idol-making factories. 
But before we make idols, the truth is there's betrayal in our idolatry. Um, before we, we craft idols, we craft them, of course, because we have looked at our God, found him wanting, and therefore looked to others more sure than he. A bigger and better team. So I choose strangers over my spouse. Because that's what I thought would give me a good life. I choose power and position over the peace in my own soul because that's what I thought would give me a good life. I choose soccer and football and whatever else over Sabbath keeping because I think that's what will give me a good life. Those things seem more sure to give me the thing that I want. And so in tiny ways, we think, seemingly insignificant or benign ways, we cast our lots. We choose our Barabbases over Jesus based on who it looks like in the moment can win. Betrayal at the root of our humanity. And I feel like today that there's a kind of like catharsis in being able to just acknowledge that with all of you. Admit it. It's true for all of us. And the genius of the liturgy is that we're all invited to stand, of course, put ourselves back in the story, to take up with our own lips the petition to crucify him, to give us Barabbas instead of Jesus in an effort to highlight for you, like, of course, no one is consciously thinking that. When I choose, if I were to, but for the record, I've never had an affair, but if in the event that I ever did, if I were to choose, you know, this moment of gratification, this moment of, you know, um, satisfaction for what I want, because this is more sure to give me the thing that I want, to make me who I want to be, than the commitments and the vows and the promises I've made. I choose Barabbas over Jesus. That's the genius of the lectionary. Can you see it that way? Because, of course, nobody was thinking consciously, yes, give us the insurrectionist. Give us the murderer. That's who we want. You know, Luke is the one who tells us he's an insurrectionist and a murderer. The crowds were just looking at two options and making their choice. After the fact, you need sort of the writer to be like, you know, if they would f to frame the choices that we make every day, they would frame them differently, in other words, than we typically do. And we're called, I think, today to kind of grapple with and wrestle with exactly that fact. Luke writes, He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed over Jesus as they wished. Who makes that trade? Well, no one consciously. No one with full knowledge of what they're choosing to do, we'd like to think, would, would maybe make that trade. You don't see Jesus as he is. Had they seen Jesus standing there, you know, you have to remember that at the time as he stood there, he didn't look very much a king. He looked weak. He looked impotent. He looked powerless to do the thing that we needed him to do. He was chained and beaten and failing as far as we were all concerned. 
had they seen him in his glory, had they seen him after the resurrection, well, then, of course, you know, we choose him. We choose the winner. That's what we do. He just wasn't winning, and so we didn't choose him. And I would say to you, that's how I know that that's not ancient history, because that's not a choice I made 2,000 years ago. That's a choice I made yesterday. He's not winning, so I didn't choose him. Being kind to those who are not kind to me, extending mercy and compassion towards those who don't extend it to me would be easy to do in the moment if I could be assured that I was going to win. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If I could go back and I could listen to the podcast that sent me into a rage spiral on Thursday, if I could listen to it again, and then at the end of it, if I could know that actually you don't have to go into a rage spiral because Jesus has risen and he's going to take care of it all and it's really okay. And if I could have believed that in the moment, well, then I probably wouldn't have called my friend and unleashed the fury of hell that was pent up in my bones all over her, thus ruining her Friday. And I ended our conversation with, you're welcome, I'm sorry, we're friends. <laughs> don't send me podcasts. On a week like this, I guess. It would have been an easy calculation to have made. If I could have heard Jesus say that and then been like, you're right, Lord, I believe you. I choose you. But I didn't. I don't. I feel like I need to. Like I must make it right myself. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, albeit he was riding on a donkey, not a stallion, an intentional, invisible symbol of humility and the way of peace. But still, he was popular, you know? And we all kind of like that, even. He comes riding in, in his own way, triumphant. In a Christian way, but triumphant nonetheless. And so it felt good, and it was easy in a moment like that, all of us standing shoulder to shoulder to hail him as king, to praise him, to bless him. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Because we knew he was going to. Jesus was on his way, and we liked what we saw. He was coming to our rescue. He was delivering us in the way that we thought that we knew that he would. He was going to get off that donkey and go take care of it. A showdown. And we were ready to be on his team. And it was easy to do. Have you ever thought about the fact that that is the only slice of history However long it took, from the time he got on the donkey until he got off and we were all praising him, it's the only moment in all of human history in which everything on this planet was as it should be. Or at least it was there. Jesus was in this world, the God of all creation, here with us in the flesh, eye to eye, and we hailed him as king. We blessed him, praised him. I hope he enjoyed it. It was really short-lived. I like to think that he savored it. You know, the language of the text is that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. I like to think that that's what Jesus did while he rode the donkey, of course, knowing it would be short-lived to some degree. The difference, of course, is that it just wasn't as easy when he was standing before Pilate. Faith comes 
more easily. And it's easier to imagine living the way that Jesus has called us to live when things are good, when things are working out the way that we think they should, when all is as it should be. And we all know that. And that's not even something that you should feel ashamed about. That's just a fact. It's just true. It's just easier to believe, easier to have faith and hold out hope when everything in the math is kind of working out, you know? But when the math isn't working out the way that it should, and especially if it hasn't felt like it's worked out in the way that it should for some time, it gets just increasingly harder, you know? Faith is tough in moments like that. It doesn't come as easily. Things take a turn. We get into Jerusalem... Jesus spends his week there, and then things don't play out the way that the crowds thought that they would. Jesus doesn't fight back. He gets arrested. He goes on trial. And while he's on trial, he doesn't defend himself. They hurl all kinds of legitimate accusations at him, by the way. Jesus had, in fact, threatened the temple system. Jesus had, in fact, equated himself with God. These were all legitimate accusations. And instead of defending himself or explaining himself, he just stands there. And you know, we're of course horrified to read and hear that people hit him, that people spat on him, that people mocked him. And it is horrifying and almost impossible to imagine. It is for me, I will admit to you. But it's not so hard for me to imagine standing there and feeling so frustrated. Do you know? Why won't you say something? Just flex a little. You know? You don't have to like bust out the big guns, but just enough to let them know you could. If you chose to, they don't believe you. And they don't believe me as a result because they don't believe you as a result. And if you think you can't imagine having ever reached out your hand to strike the face of God, I don't know how those mothers in Nashville feel. But I bet they've asked why. Where were you? Hosanna. Hoshana. Why? I don't know. You sadly didn't come gathered to church this morning to hear me answer humanity's biggest question. But here's what I do know. He had his face set like flint towards redemption and healing. And if I could have called a timeout and I could have crawled up on the cross and I could have whispered in his ear and said, Why? Why? They think you're a failure. They think they're going to win. Why, Lord? I don't know exactly what he would have said, but I know it would have been something like this. Because today I die for Rome. I'm not going to fight them. Today I die for Barabbas. I'm not going to fight him. Today I die for the gunmen. I'm not going to fight them. Because if I don't save them, we're all lost. That's what he would have said, y'all. He died for them. And that's the gospel. Thanks be to God.
Today is an invitation to remember the one we have chosen to follow and the footsteps that we've chosen to walk in. And he is a king, courageous and strong enough to refuse violence in all of its forms. And so I don't know what that invitation means for you. I, I say to you in solidarity, I believe that there is a redemptive place for our rage and our frustration. There has to be. And today I am invited to, like the Lord who went before me, open up my hands this way. Because if I don't, if I don't let it go this way, it will turn me into someone other than who I was called and created to be. We refuse it because if we don't save them, we're all lost. And I'm sending my kid to school the same way you are. I feel the frustration that you feel. And I had to, this morning, say to Jesus, your way is better. And I know that. Help me, God, to believe it when the choice is right in front of me. Just help me choose it, you know? Hosanna. Hoshana. Please save us is both a prayer, a cry, that God would deliver us from our enemies and from ourselves. You know, the evil without and the evil within. And the beauty of the gospel is that he gets to say over all of us, I am, I have, my way is right, my way is good, my way is true. It's the only way. It is the way of life. He says over all of our hurt, I am making all things new. It is the only way. This way of love and this way of sacrifice, it is the only way. There are other ways. But they are the way of Barabbas. They are not the way of Jesus. And again, I don't know what that means for you in the particulars, how we live that out. I do for me. I get to call my friend tomorrow and apologize the real way. I get to pray for those I don't want to pray for and ask God to have mercy. We all do. And I believe he will, and that he does. And that when we're brave enough and courageous enough to come together in places like this and like stand before God and say, I don't know, I don't know, I want to believe this, but help me, God, in my unbelief. I choose you, but I, I don't really know how to choose you. Not every day, not all the time. Will you help me, Lord, have mercy that he will and that he does? That's why the reminder. It's for mercy's sake. Gather us here. Look us in the face, remind us who we are, and then send us back out into this world so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, not Barabbas. I can lay all that down here and then go to him. So I would invite you to do exactly that as we pray. 
We're going to take a moment before we move into the prayers of the people and the liturgy just to be silent so we can name before the Lord whatever we need to name personally and on behalf of the church, our neighbors. And then we'll pray together. Have mercy, Lord. Hear our prayer.